Tag Podcast. My guest today is 1988 world champ Barton Lynch and purveyor of many, many things. It's it's really hard to keep track of you, Barton, and what you're doing. You you have your hand in so many uh, so many pies, so to speak. Um, well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. And uh, I suppose desperation is the mother of necessity, as they say. And uh, or what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, you know, uh, our days on the on the world tour were not the most financially lucrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I suppose you know that the need to continue to to pay the bills, feed the family, and yeah. keep you know keep the head above water means that you. You maintain a creativity and an engagement with what you're doing, and I imagine, um, you know, sometimes I imagine that if if our days were like the days now, where you were making potentially mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars a month mm-hmm. and millions of dollars a year, whether whether I would be as engaged and active and proactive as I am in stuff at the moment, and and you know, largely it's because I have to be. Yeah. So um, it you know, at, at eat the, and survive. <laughs> yeah. So at the, at the time, it was it was really difficult to to make a living to to have a go at it. So um, from that, you you learned to work really hard. Yeah. It, indeed. It was always I always like that analogy of a big family, mm-hmm. um, and then not a, there's not enough food at the table, <laughs> and dinner's called, and everybody's rushing in, elbows are flying, fists are flying. <laughs> Because you've got to you've got to fight for your food, and there's not enough for for you and your brothers and sisters. And if you're not mm-hmm. forthright, you're not going to get fed. Wow! And um, that was really the situation of what the pro tour was back in those days. There wasn't mm-hmm. enough to go around, mm-hmm. and you had to get in, and you had to fight for your fair share, or you were going to starve. Wow! And so it was a it was an interesting time to live, and then watch the evolution of the sport go from that to a time where people are making millions of dollars and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, driving flash cars and mm-hmm. traveling with masseuses and dietitians and the, <laughs> or their entire family. And, you know, the whole, the whole thing changed so much during that time that I've been able to watch it. And I suppose the peak of the good times might have already happened and we're mm-hmm. sliding down that other side. Um, Mm. Under the impact of inflation, under the impact no. of cost of living, uh, mm. under the impact and cost of traveling and cost of touring, touring. and cost of actually having, you know, the costs of being a pro surfer most probably have never been more than they've ever been. Right. Um, it, there's most probably more people surfing than there's ever been. There's most probably a bigger industry than there's ever been. And perhaps there's less money moving around fluidly at the grassroots mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. there's ever been. So when and, you, and yeah, when, when you talk about the um the era when uh, you were touring and yeah. you're talking to maybe some kid who came up and you know since they were 10 they had a coach and spent every day on the shore at trestles, you know, with their dad filming them or whatever the scenario. Some of those kids, you know, now they're on tour, they're going and does anyone ever say, you know, I, I wish I did it when you did it, Barton? It was it was a much simpler time. It was well. You know what? We say it a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say do. it. You know, <laughs> I say it for sure. I love the times we got to live. Mm-hmm. They were fantastic times to be a professional surfer. Um, obviously, it started. You know, seventy six was that first year. 
yeah, where they yeah. crowned the world champion, Peter Townend. But during that year, it wasn't so well known that it was going to be a world tour, mm -hmm. that there was going to be a champion decided at the end of that year. It wasn't known. And so they went out, they ran all these independent individual events. And then at the end of the year, went, hey, we're going to add them all up and crown a world champion hey. and um, borrow a trophy, <laughs> take a photo of you with the trophy, proclaim a world tour and a world champion and see if we can't build off the back of that. Yeah. Um, and that's what they did. Their founding fathers, you know, Peter Townend, Ian Cairns, mm -hmm. Mark Richards, Sean Thompson, Larry Berlemans, Michael Hose, that, that generation, they went to work and created a sport. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the, and a lot of it, you know, at the start, like anything, man, you might need to use some smoke and mirrors to make them believe <laughs> that this thing's real. Um, and so I started in 83. Okay. So sort of six years after those, that, that, that very formative stages. And you didn't realize at the time how early you were in the development of this thing, professional surfing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, now as you reflect, you go, wow, we were right there. I surfed against the very first generation of professional surfers yeah. when I came on as a young kid. And, and our job, I suppose, at that point in time was to make people believe, mm -hmm. you know, you remember the, the, the impression of what surfers were was not the most positive thing in the mainstream. Yeah, that was back in the uh, Spicoli days. Like the, the, yeah, so they're looking at, looking at us as drug-taking, beach bum, no-hopers, lost <laughs> in life, um, you know. And the idea for our generation was that we had to convince them that we were professional athletes, uh -huh. that this was a professional sport, it was worthy of support, it was worthy of financial investment, and we could build this thing into something special and, and we wouldn't have to go and get a real job wow. for our entire lives. And that was, that was, I think, in those early days, that the goal was as simple as that. Okay. Not having to get a real job and having to, being able to go surfing for a living um, was the dream. Yeah. And I got to live that dream. And I feel like in a lot of ways I contributed quite largely in that public perception of who we were mm -hmm. in, in our generation, um, you know, Tom Carroll, Tom Curran, Mark Ocalupo, Gary Elkin, Martin Potter, Derek Ho, Damien Hardman, there were an incredible amount of very, very talented surfers who were, were you know, redefining what, what surfing was. And many of those guys have gone down as the greatest of all time, particularly Curran, Carroll and Ocalupo. There's yeah. no, no disputing their place. Still, you look at footage of those guys today and they still look as good as anyone looks, you know, and it was 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, there was a powerful movement, a powerful time and an enormous amount of media interest, particularly in Australia, um, through those 80s as into surfing. And I felt my role a lot of the time was to get there in front of the cameras, get there in front of the public mm -hmm. and communicate our message to them mm -hmm. and make them believe. Wow. Um, and and, and it was one of those, I suppose, gifts that I have had my whole life, really, my ability to communicate, my ability to, to talk surfing and, <laughs> and, and, and makes people respect and understand what we do. And so I felt like I had a, had a role, a specific role almost in that at that point in time, being one of the ones who was able to stand in front of a camera and and spit it out and make them mm -hmm. look at us and go, wow, mm -hmm. that was interesting. Who are these kids? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so um, everyone has had their roles in the show. 
Yeah. Um, and 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 overall, the overall objective of our generation was to create credibility in what had been built by the generation mm -hmm. before us. And um, I felt like, yeah, I think history would suggest we did that. Yeah, yeah. And then the next phase, you imagine the next phase was we need an American world champion. Mm-hmm. You know, behind the scenes, this is what they're thinking. We need an American world champion so we can take this to the masses and be mm -hmm. a part of that massive market that is North America. Um, and Tom Curran's there and they go, well, he could be the perfect guy. <laughs> and so that was that next phase was, you know, us, uh, America, embracing professional surfing. The industry, which was largely Australian, Quicksilver, Ripcord, Billabong, it moved its way over there to America. It started to to seed surfing and, and take advantage of, of what surfing was. There are obviously some American companies doing great work, o, OP, obviously, mm -hmm. and before that, Caton and some of those earlier brands. Um, and then the surf industry started flying. People yeah. started, you know, wages. And, and the thing that, that's interesting about then to now, wages were flourishing, events were flourishing. It was all off the support of the surfing industry, largely. They were reinvesting what they were making into themselves and into the sport. And, and everything was flourishing, you know, to the point where, you know, brands like Hurley and Ruka and Volcom came along and there was this other, you know, sort of more American-based brands that started to become mainstream as well. And there was a, a, you know, vibrant, strong competitiveness between those brands and they're all trying to do the best event and run the best this and the best ads and the best. And there was that competition um, that really is free market capitalism in its purest Um really worked and and, and mm -hmm. sent the you know sent the sport to the point where people are on multi-million dollar contracts and you know if if john john florence was on a three million dollar deal three and a half million Good you man. look at it and you go wow he's making three hundred thousand dollars a month <laughs> not joking mate yeah yeah you know? that's... And, then, and then you add in all the others the energy drinks and the surfboards and the shoes and the all the other stuff, and you go, wow, he may have worked very well at the peak of his income, been making close to half a million dollars a month, which to us, to someone yeah. as old as me, it looks like I look, it's it's um, dumbfounding. I, I would never have imagined we could have ever got to that point yeah. where that was where things had got to. But I think the sad side to that story is, is that there is a, end of cycle capitalism where you imagine free market capitalism as it starts is this is this open thing that gives anyone the opportunity to create something of their life mm -hmm. the free market allows you to have an interest create a product start to package it and sell it and you might do that in a cottage sense with friends and it grows and all of a sudden you've got a business and your business is ripping along and it's feeding your family and your friends and really i feel like a great example of that as a surf brand was Hurley, who I was involved with for, for many years. I was from 2006 until just recently. Um, Bob was able to employ his friend. Everyone had these wonderful jobs. They were all working collectively for this, uh, for this idea and for this brand and to build this product and its product range. And everyone was having a great old time. And the company itself, didn't really need to be making profit as a bottom line. 
It needed to be employing people and creating yeah. jobs while it was in Bob's hands. This is and in private, private independent hands. And and I think all of those surf companies were the same as that. I want to pull this over into into wave pools because during your time, yes, please. They uh, briefly came on. You know, you had the Allentown event. Um, you had a, a couple other domestic U.S. Toured events. Did did you ever surf in a wave pool for one of the competitions? Yeah, I surfed in Allentown, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and that was the you know, that was the first. And I think that might have been nineteen eighty three, perhaps. 80, yeah, 80. Um, early eighties. I started in eighty three. I think it was my first or second year that event. Wow. Um, it was a cultural experience because we'd never been to. I'd never been to an inland city in America. Kind of. I'd never been to Allentown, Pennsylvania. I'd never been to Pennsylvania. I didn't know where it was. You know what I mean? Um, so yes, we 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 found ourselves in this completely different environment, um, and the wave was very very average. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that the worse the waves got back then, the better my chances were. Mm. I was I was quite proficient at small wave riding, having grown up in beach breaks all mm -hmm. my life, and. And I looked at that wave and went, I'm going to eat people up in here. This is good. Uh, you know, some of the bigger guys uh, who were on tour um, were going to struggle in my mind. But in the end, I found it really difficult too. It was a hard wave to surf. And um, yeah, it looks I believe was it was Derek Ho and Tom Carroll might have been the final back then. At a, yeah, I think Tom, but Carroll, I guess, um, Tom Carroll won it. Well, he might yeah. have beaten Derek Ho in the final and... And you know that was that was testament to the amount of time that Tom Carroll had spent learning and focusing on learning small ways for the tour. You know he was obviously super proficient. The bigger mm -hmm. the gnarlier it got, he was always yeah the, the, one of the guys you'd look to. Um, and he spent years getting up at Whale Beach on the northern beaches of Sydney, driving to Bondi in the dark, to which is an hour drive. Um, and there's just as bad a waves around Whale Beach and Avalon and Newport where he grew up. But the discipline of driving to Bondi to surf these terrible waves and to do it for a reason was why he did it. And and it, 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 it paid dividends. And it won him that event. It won him, you know, two world titles. And it was a it was a, a display of discipline and focus that really, in a lot of ways, pro surfing hadn't seen before. And Tom was responsible for that in terms of physical conditioning as well. We kind of grew up and we were mostly just surfers, right? You just go surfing. That's what your training was, was you go surfing. And maybe you surf without a leash, so you swim. Yeah. And you lose your board. You know, that was kind of a, a training. And, and Tom really changed. You know, he got into the gym and, and just ended up looking like a great god. And yeah. We were all like, wow. And it changed a lot. Um so then when, after Allentown, I went to Miyazaki and oh, surfed in that yeah. pool in Miyazaki that, as well. That is a big mystery because while I can find lots of uh, stories and even video clips of, of Allentown, Miyazaki is uh, like this mystery. It's the ghost wave pool event of the early days of the of the tour. What what was Miyazaki like? Again, it was you know going to Japan in those early days with the cultural differences mm -hmm. was was amazing. You know, it really opened your eyes to, to what the world was. You can, you know, that's one of the things I know now from all the traveling I've done and living in different countries is that everybody's different and all these countries have their own, their own religions, their own, you know, their own languages and their own considerations to what's polite, to what's not, what's acceptable behavior to what's not. And when you're just a, 
a young Aussie rat bag and you're traveling the world thinking you own it and going to all of these countries, not understanding those, those subtle differences. And as you grow older and mature and perhaps you get into trouble because you've behaved in a way and someone doesn't like it in that country and all of a sudden you go, wow, that was, that was interesting. What was that about? And you learn that, you know, really you need to fit in with them. It's their country, mate. It's their rules. It's the way they do stuff. And when you go there, you have to adapt and and fit in like that. So Japan was always one of those culturally really challenging places. Even the food was so difficult. You know, you'd wake up and you'd have some cold smoked fish sitting there as your breakfast with a miso soup and an egg, boiled egg. And you'd be looking at it going, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? You couldn't even smell the fish. Really, I'd be like, oh, oh, what are we going <laughs> to eat today? We've got to eat, you know. So it was, yeah, it was a very, it was a great cultural time. Um, Miyazaki was, um, again, it was uh, one of their wave pools. It was a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. And you kind of went, wow. You could, we could see the potential. You could see that if this thing really went somewhere, it could be what it is today. You know, we live in a, I love, I, I love the whole wave pool thing. I love the whole, the technologies. I love the investment the amount of it, it it is an idea you can't just build a wave pool with a 10 grand out of the back pocket right the whole the, the whole wave pool thing has to be a significant investment into surfing and into wave riding and that in a sense we talked about how the the industry itself is really drawing back from how much they're investing into the sport um Wave pools themselves are an opportunity to grow the sport in another area of commercial enterprise, um, which is big money, big finance, and big opportunities. And you start seeing them, like we have this week, we're seeing Kelly's pool pop up in Abu Dhabi, and you go, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, you know, and you see that skyscraping background behind the shot, mm-hmm. and it backdrop. just looks wonderful, you know? And so... I feel like that's that is that is one of the technologies and one of the areas of commercial enterprise in surfing that's that's hopeful. That yeah. gives us a lot of hope. Um, besides the fact that in a lot of ways the surf industry might be at a, a, a restarting point, yep. and you have some brands like Vistler, obviously, um, IPD, Florence Marine X, and you have these new brands independent new brands um, starting up that may be the brands of the future. Okay. You know, the, the ones that, that stay, stay core, stay true to the industry and are back in that position where yeah. they can employ their mates, create a family brand really? that's got all these good vibes in it. Um, that's what I see happening with Florence, Marine X. You yeah. know, there's that's so many of the people who are at Hurley are there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you go into the Never. office and I go, hey, hey, <laughs> oh, good to see you, you too. Good to see you, you know. And, and you you see this this uh, restart, a, a kickstart, a whole sort of second phase, a second generation, or perhaps even a third generation, if we looked at the Catons and those early companies, then into the Quicksilver Root Billabong time, and into now, it's almost like these, these new surf brands that are going to pop up everywhere, mm-hmm. little... You know, mum and pop show brands that start and in their local area, kids love it and they wear the T-shirt and then someone sees that on their board somewhere and some kid somewhere else wants that sticker on their board. I remember as a kid seeing um, 
seeing the, the Gold Coast surfers, there was a bunch of them sponsored by a radio station but called 4GG. And this was the first radio station that got involved in, in with surfing and did surf reports. Mm. You know what I mean? On the Saturday morning, there's a surf report <laughs> with the conditions. And, and I saw the 4GG on the boards. I didn't know what it was. Hmm. But as a kid, I wanted this 4GG sticker. Because <laughs> I was like, that sticker's yeah. sick. What is that? What is that? You know? Look, it's on those kids' boards. And they were like aspiring pro kids who were competitors of mine. And I'm thinking, mm. what is that? And then you realize it was a radio station. You went, oh, that's a bit weird. Maybe I don't want one of them stickers. But, but that's how, you know, these things, these, our industry started in such a grassroots, authentic, original, you know, yeah. free market capitalist way. It was just one of those things. And people were able to create incredible lives, incredible wealth for surfing for themselves. And the whole thing was such a positive, really, you know, uh, yeah, so, when we look back. So tying it back to, to wave pools and you, you talk about the early days, Miyazaki and Allentown. And now you're running the BL Blast Off video competition for kids. Mm. And you're getting all these clips, and a startling number of those clips uh, are from wave pools. Why, why do you think oh. that is? Oh, because they're so good. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's because they're so good, and that's like a dream for a young kid to go to Kelly Slater's surf ramp mm. and ride a wave. Once you've seen how perfect those waves are, a kid might spend his life in the ocean trying to get one of them. Yeah. You know, unless you live at if unless you live at Snapper Rocks or Rincon or you know mm -hmm. one of these beautiful point breaks or one of these fantastic waves in the world, to be able to go to a place and know that that they're going to switch a button, so to speak, and and waves are going to pump out of that thing is a dream. That's like some kind of dream come true. It's a fantastic dream. thing and. When you look at the quality of the waves, they've gone to, to, to levels we didn't imagine. I'm going to say that the Abu Dhabi, mm -hmm. is it in Abu Dhabi, right? Yeah, yeah, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that doing one in that part of the world with that amount of resource, um, financial resource, the experience of the first one, that I thought that wave was going to be twice as big. Hmm. It is, you know. I was thinking they're going to, you well, know, everything's bigger down in, in yeah, that yeah. part of the world, right? There's the biggest building, the biggest this, the biggest everything. And I thought it's going to be the big, it's going to be twice as big as Lamore, and it's going to be the best wave I've ever seen. Oh, I'm, I'm, that's what I thought when I heard that they were building it. When I looked at it and I went, well, it's kind of exactly the same. There was a little bit for me of a letdown given. This just yeah. expectation of what that part of the world might build. Okay. And that it, it is, know? from what I've seen, combing social media, they, yeah. uh, they have changed it a bit to where you get, um, after the wave passes through, there's a white water that reforms. So beginning and intermediate surfers have a wave to ride. Uh, yeah. So in yeah. that sense, it's bigger than Lamar because you can fit more surfers into it rather yeah. than just the one yeah. on the way. Um, Every three minutes. Yeah. But it's, um, it, it is an amazing technology. We had an op-ed on our website uh, about the technology and where its strong points are and where its shortcomings are. And obviously a name brand, it's, you know, phenomenal, which uh, did a lot to get it into uh, the development in, in Abu Dhabi. 
But um, yeah. talking about technologies too, you've had um, you worked with surf lakes back in the mm. in the early days, and you got to surf Hockey's Peak. You got to surf the slab, which having been there, how is the slab? That's it's, it's yeah. a gnarly, gnarly wave. It's a gnarly wave. Um, when I went there, and so you know, <laughs> since COVID, since October 2019, I haven't really been back to Australia. Okay. Um, so that that uh, sort of meant that I've got to watch a lot of the development and the yeah. improvement, particularly in the size. When I was there, Fence. you know, it was waist to shoulder high, yeah. I would say. You know, waist okay. to shoulder high, generally speaking. It was the formative stages. So things would click on and a few sets would come and then they'd go, oh, we've got to look at something. And then she'd go down for four hours <laughs> and I'd be sitting there going, I, well, I only got two hours. I want to surf this yeah, thing. Because yeah. it, 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 it is in a beautiful location. And when that, that yeah. thing starts moving, the excitement and then the, <laughs> the steam coming out of the, the, that, that box there on the side, the whole thing's very Mad Max-like. Yeah. It's very like futuristic. And when you were sitting underneath it, the thing that I loved, um, and you mentioned about Kelly's Pool and, and Lemoore's, they've got the one wave and then three minutes of water settling and then the next wave and three minutes of water settling. And if that person doesn't fall on that wave, no one else gets to ride it, um, you know? And so there's this one every three minutes thing and, and I you kind of wonder about that from a commercial sense and how many people can get to surf. Um, but obviously they're doing great there because it seems like there's always groups at Lemoore and they're, they're busy as, and perhaps they decided that they, perhaps WSL, when they took Lemoore off the schedule, mm -hmm. were thinking that we will go to Abu Dhabi mm -hmm. for an event the year after, perhaps. Maybe renting it out on a day rate is more valuable to them than putting on an event that they pay for. Rather than earn income. So they're not earning income on the days the event's on. Mm -hmm. They're under, what would you call that? Uh, ridicule and criticism. And, and, and they're, they're like everyone's looking at it and talking about the judging. And it became quite a quite a flare up this yeah, year. Yeah, like yeah. maybe they were like, it's, well, it's just it's better value for us just to rent it out on a daily basis. Yeah. I don't know. I heard it was 50K a day. I don't, That's, yeah, I'm, yeah, the, when, I'm winter, no expert. Winter rates are 50K and uh, high season 70. Um, yeah, so then, you know, maybe they go, well, we run the event for four days and we spend hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars running it, or we could, uh, you know, not run the event, not deal with the, the residual criticism around the judging and whatever else, and a year's time we'll take it to Abu Dhabi, do it over there yeah. or something, you know, because so, I, was, I was really was surprised to see it not on that schedule. Yeah, so... So let's take it back to um to to Surf Lakes. Uh, we oh yes yeah Wave Pool Mag. We got to go there last year. We were fortunate enough. They invited us out. We did a little video on the website. But the like you mentioned, the steam and everything. It's it's loud. It and it is really uh um not what's the word I'm thinking of? It, it's more it's uh kind of animal. There's some animal instinct yeah. is kicked in. Like I gotta run. I gotta get out of here. And there's yeah, it's raw, isn't it? Raw, <laughs> oh, we've got a real raw. Yeah, and then there's the, to it. the plunger lifting up, and you're close to it. And I had the fear of being sucked into it. I don't, I don't know yeah. if you if that passed through your mind. Probably not. I just tend to be paranoid of these things. But um, no, it's it's got that feeling like what's going to happen next? Oh my <laughs> goodness! Oh, it's starting. It's moving. Oh my god, it's so exciting. 
Um, but it would seem that since I was there, they, they increased the size significantly. Okay. I saw some big, tall-looking people standing up in the slab. Oh, wow. Um, and that wave was extremely difficult to take off on. You had to get the takeoff exactly just right. Uh-huh. Um, I mostly went lefts. And mm-hmm. you could just, you know, drop in on the left. There was always a natural foot of wanting to go right. And I would go the lefts off it. Um, Oki's was great. The thing that I loved the most, and I think that is the, is the real selling point, so to speak, and the thing that makes it, it'll make it super popular, mm-hmm. is that when you've got eight different waves breaking at once, yeah. all around there, and people sitting on those peaks, and everybody, you know it's coming, and everyone's starting to get so excited, and they're all hooting oh, yeah. around it. Yeah. This, this, you know, the circumference of the break, and they're all, woo, woo, here it comes, <laughs> and, and everyone's hooting and hollering. And then by the end of it, you know what? Say there's a four wave set, and you know, thirty two people have ridden waves or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's just sitting there like, woo, in those little breaks. It was such an amazing feeling. It was such a Everyone was so high and so stoked, and and so that was that to me was really a wonderful part. How there was all these different levels of surfers, all on a wave that suited them. Maybe six or eight people at each peak. Four four waves come through in the set. Everybody gets a wave, and at the end of it, thirty-two or more people have surfed, and you're all stoked. Yeah, yeah, and that's one out of a moment. One thing you 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 mentioned how everyone was hooting, and I've noticed that at the the wave pools we've been fortunate fortunate enough to go to, is that the uh, ambience, the the stoke factor, yeah. is really high. Everyone is having a good time. People are complimenting others' rides. It's like uh, a lot of yeah. the stresses from the uh, main quality breaks. Um, on planet Earth and in the ocean, um, a lot of those stresses are are, are removed, which uh, does yeah. make it a very a very different experience. Yeah, the competitiveness of the ocean, where you don't know if you're getting one. Yeah, in a sense, it's like like being in a, a crowded lineup's like that table with the food analogy again. <laughs> right, you're yeah. sitting out the back, and the sets come, and there might be four waves in it, and there's twenty of you out there. Yeah, you know, <sighs> um, but to know you're getting one. And to know it's your turn and to know it's that perfect and you're going to ride it It is so exciting. I've only got to ride a few waves at Kelly's pool when I was there commentating. Mm -hmm. And they would have those calibration waves that they ran before the event. There were three of them. And normally it was, you know, they'd run two lefts and a right. Um, And you would, you know, you would fight the commentators again there wasn't enough of them to go around either oh, no. and everyone would be like well i'll go i'll go i'll go yeah. i mean you're trying to bicky away into being the one who gets the priority and then the other people would sit down the line at kelly's pool uh-huh. and I, I sat there and i watched martin potter take off i was really? like look at this is a sick one. Oh no oh no he's gonna get caught oh yes, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> and at first i was like you know i was disappointed for him when i realized he wasn't going to make it but then no. i realized hey it's your turn yeah he's not going to make it and you're going to catch it <laughs> and i just started paddling to that thing at 100 miles an hour because even if i was 10 feet further out that was 10 feet more i was going to get to ride right right oh, you know it. and and so and i got one of them off peter mel too okay so I got a couple of those and then a couple of lefts. So I've most probably ridden two rights and two lefts or two halves of rights and two yeah. two lefts. And um, so your psychic powers are really strong. You're able to make 
pro surfers fall. People fall. Yes, you that's can right. Look at them. You're able to jinx them, <laughs> and with your own greed, <laughs> ruin their experience so that you can have a good one. It was funny. It was, you know, but there was a was so it was that was again. It was harsh. It was a yeah. hard environment because you only got half a wave. Yeah, and or one wave, and you knew that was your only wave you're getting all day. Oof. So riding it, and then you know that the world's best surfers are all there watching you. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you're that. like, no, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> they were maybe. <laughs> honestly, they were some of the most nerve wracking <laughs> situations of my entire wave riding life. <laughs> Was waiting for that for, machine and knowing everyone's watching you. You got one chance and one chance only today. Yeah. Don't blow it. You know, it was so stressful. Wow. Now, um, but that—that's where I saw the the surf lakes concept of of different waves all happening at the same time right. and and a more kind of communal approach to the way to the way the the thing operates. It's right. not so singular and one person gets to ride a wave and if they blow it, a couple might scavenge right. it off the side. Right. Um, Everywhere, there's eight people riding at once. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's that. That was a really, that's a that's a fantastic business model in my mind. The fact that all of those four different ways with two directions on them are of different quality means that everybody's catered for in a moment. And so that's why I, I sort of aligned myself with those guys because I, I honestly believe it's the best technology. Mm-hmm. I believe it's the most um, productive, most purposeful and, and potentially the most profitable of those business models in the fact that you can have a lot of people having a good time all at the same time. Yeah. It? Yeah. It does cover a lot of area and creates a, a beach with a 360 degree uh, circle. Waterfront. Yeah. And, and yeah. what, um, what other pools have you, have you been fortunate enough to try, try out? You're in uh, the U.S. You were, yeah, Kelly's and then Surf Lakes, then Allentown. And that's it, mate. So Allentown, Miyazaki, Mm -hmm. back in the original days. Okay. And then Kelly's and Surf Lakes. Okay. And then I'm going to get to ride Tokyo in my video game. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in Tokyo, in Tokyo, the wave pool is, do you know what kind of, so tell us about that. Share, share with us. Yeah, so so the video game started. I mean, it's it's a funny thing, life, isn't it? You know, um, when when I'm sixty years old and on on the look like this is just bearded, hairy, old, homeless-looking guy, <laughs> and on more than the odd occasion here in Hawaii, I've been mistaken for a homeless people person and offered money. People. <laughs> <laughs> People have come up to me on the street, gone into their yeah. pot. I've been standing on the side of a street with a backpack on yeah. in Honolulu. Yeah. And people have come up to me, gone into their pocket and gone, here, yeah. mate, buy yourself something. <laughs> and offered me money because I, I, they think I'm homeless because of the way I look. Um, oh. Which has been interesting to, to be judged by the yeah. cover. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and recognize that, that that still exists. People still judge books by a cover mm-hmm. because I look very unshaven uh-huh. um you know i've been in, you know people have thought i'm homeless which is just a bizarre thing right now. um so in but um what? i think that um going back to tokyo i would love to go and surf more i feel like for coaching you know and i've spent you know since you know last 25 years coaching to be able and when i went to surf lakes 
That was the first thing I thought. And I sat there and I watched the repetition. Yeah. And I was able to get a few waves and even on the right, pig dog some tubes on the right and go, mate, I haven't done this in the ocean for ages. Yeah. And I just did it three times because the same wave came out. Wow. And I was able to work on the, the little bits that that repetition and consistency give you that makes surfing one of the very hardest things to learn in the ocean because you don't get that. And they're repeating, you know, just the paddling component of what you have to do in the ocean means that not everyone can surf or a anyone can surf. It's going to take them a long time to build the fitness to be able to ride enough waves mm -hmm. to be able to get okay at it. The old 10,000 hour rule, you know, mm -hmm. like you know, to do 10,000 hours of surfing and wave riding, you might be in the ocean for an hour and be out literally on a wave for a minute. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so wave pools give us the opportunity to get consistency and repetition that doesn't exist in the real world. And it's going to shortcut so many kids surfing experience to another level and take them to another level quicker than it's ever been possible before. And back to your question about why so many videos have pools in them. And I think that's why in the blast off, you know, it's 14 years and under, a lot of those kids want to do something with their surfing. They get to the wave pools. They have the repetition available to them. And we've already seen at Waco what, what kids can do in the air at 12 years of age, younger, you know, yeah. where they're doing aerials r repetitiously in a session for an hour and doing more than you could do in the ocean in a month. Maybe more. Maybe what you do in, a, in the pool in an hour is worth two months of surfing. So... There's, there's, there's incredible advantages to it. Then my mind goes to Raymana getting people up on waves. We've all seen yeah, the, the yeah. social media clips of that where those people have no right to stand on a wave yet. <laughs> they didn't you know work for I mean? it. Yeah. They're, they're, if they worked for it and they were in the real world, they were getting nowhere near that experience. Yeah. And given his incredible ability and the way he has broken that wave down and the way he understands how to do it with people... Anything. They have got people who have never stood up on a wave before standing up on a perfect one. Yeah. And riding it along. And, and you just watch Raymond just give him a little tap at moments on it, like <laughs> a little more speed there. Oh, he's in this real water, you know? And the way he has done that and introduced so many people to surfing at the surf ranches, that's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. that's a, there's this incredible positives in, in this area that might be the lifeblood of the sport in the future. Because when you look at the industry and the way that's going, it's going to take a long time for new, young, fresh brands to evolve to the point where they can sponsor events, yeah. they sponsor athletes, where they can got enough money themselves in their little brand to be able to put it back into the sport. That's going to take some time. If the corporations continue on the trajectory they're going, where they take siphoning out more than they're putting in, which is traditional corporate behavior we expect that from them really anyway so i don't see that changing um wave pools and the growth in that area are bringing and introducing people to the sport they're bringing investment into the sport and that could be one of the great pillars that facilitates a future not only for the culture the culture is always going to be there we're always going to be surfing we're always going to be doing it it doesn't really need an industry to exist so that, that, that grassroots culture is always going to exist, but the commercial opportunities for people to live off the sport 
live off surfing, live off the industry and have jobs in and around surfing so that they're engaged with that culture while they're making an income, that is something that wave pools may be the bright light that are going to bring that opportunity as they introduce mm-hmm. more people, as they introduce more finance, as they introduce geographic areas that haven't had surfing. As all of this stuff starts to explode and continue to grow, that could be the lifeblood of the professional sport in the future because it's introducing money into the sport. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, it may have a lot riding on its back to, you know, <laughs> no, as, no as, a, as an industry, <laughs> no, no pressure at all, <laughs> but I see it as, as a potential thing. Wow. And now going back to you, yeah. but, but my last question, what I'd love to ask you is if you could seeing all these, uh, different technologies that are out there, if you could design the, done a video game, you have your Grom contest. If you had the Barton Lynch wave technology, <laughs> what would yeah. what would your wave do? What would your wave pool look like? What would how would the wave come come out? Would it just come up out of nowhere, out of deep water? Or would it refract off a wall? Would it be a point? Would it be a split peak? Would you have sand, concrete bottom? What I mean, would, if it what would it's, you do? It's so I suppose in the end we'll there. have all of them, won't we? <laughs> you will. I think yeah. we'll have all of them. Yeah, they'll all exist in some form or another. And as this, the, the people de- deeply engaged in this technology keep revolve, uh, refining and evolving what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I see, I see the potential. When I was at Surf Lakes, they said, "Would you like it twice the size?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yes." Mm-hmm. And they go, "We can do twice the size." Wow. So that's where I see it going. Um, like in the real world, people are riding waves that we never imagined they would ride. Yeah. The stuff true. we see at Chopu, the stuff we see at Jaws, at Nazare. I never in my wildest dreams imagined people would surf waves like they surf today. Okay. And then going back to right? um, your like your Barton Lynch wave pool. I, I want to know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really curious to know. We'd be getting big, mate. It'd be I'd big. I'd be getting a okay. big. I'd be going big, mate. So you could, I'd be trying to expand the size and just like extrapolate out on things and make the surf lakes concept. You know, even if that surf lakes concept was twice the size, and that Oki's left was, you know, overhead, yeah, eight foot on the face or whatever. Mm -hmm. Seriously, you would be having the time (laughs) of your life. And then I would see myself pitching up there and just spent doing coaching camps and going to. Going to Abu Dhabi, going to Waco, going to these places for periods of time, and 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 setting up and doing coaching clinics. That's what I imagine for myself. You know, yeah. is going to these waves, and and in that sense, if they're diverse enough, like the Surf Lakes concept is, you can be coaching all sorts of different levels of surfers. Mm-hmm. And if there's a big pool, which is the big end of town, and it's 10, 12 feet, like a slap. Like the real, like the ocean, like Nathan Florence has been riding these last bunch of months. You know what I mean? Um, I see that that's that's the future. I see them getting bigger. The shape is fantastic. What they've created in shape and in tube ride and in in, in, in air sections and in the way they can manipulate those waves with the sidewalls to create different shapes and forms of waves is an amazing technology. I see that as being something super interesting to play with. Um, the perfection of Kelly's is just unbelievable. Hard to watch, kind of draw dropping. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just sit there going, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> let me get one of them." Um, and then I look at the Surf Lakes as kind of a a combination of all those ideas, but in one. 
facility okay. in one place in one technology. So you're, and that's why I feel so positive about that. Okay. So you, um, your dream. I'd tool. love to mention the video game and uh, let's let's hear about yeah the video game because you're you're launching that and it's going to be on PlayStation and uh, PC or how it. Oh, yes, so it's it. PS5, Xbox, okay. and then PC through okay. Steam. Um, I got involved in that, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, three or four years ago. Wow. And at that time, they came and said, we'd love, we're doing a, way, a, a video game, surfing video game. We'd love to get you involved. And I was like, sure. Um, I thought I'd be contracting surfers and working as a consultant, you know, to try and maintain an, a, a cultural integrity about the project. And they said, we want to call it Barton Lynch Pro Surfing. And my Ooh. first thing was, I said, surely you can get a better name than me. <laughs> like that's, and I was like, that's the first thing I said to the guy. Yeah. I was like, really? Surely you can get a better, we can get a better name than me. And he goes, well, we're using the John Madden NFL model. Mm -hmm. And John Madden was a player and a coach and a commentator. Yeah. You're a world champion and, and a, been coaching for years and a, you know, the voice oh, there, of surfing commentator. There you go. Um, so you're the perfect guy. Your credibility is has been there. You've ran the test of time. We get a young kid who knows what they do Brilliant. in the future, where they end up. Yeah. You know, so we feel like this is the right thing to do and <laughs> you're the right man for the job. Wow. And I was going, wow, who would have imagined if you would have told me at any point in my life that <laughs> you'll be 60 years old and have your name on a video game, <laughs> I would have told you you were tripping. So I still find it hard to believe. Um, the reality is I've never played a video game. Oh, okay. So that's the ironic yes. part of this thing is that I've never played a, a video game. Um, this may be the very first video game I ever played. That, you got to start um, somewhere. And I feel like we've, you know, in the when you think that, you know, three years ago, say we signed Nathan Florence, Mahini Fierro, Mahina Maeda, Solly Bailey, Clay Marzo, Felicity Palmatia. And one person, I'm not remembering. Did I say Solly? Yeah. Nathan? Mahina? I, oh, let's do this again. I'm, I'm for, the, for, for the game. And they're on the... Yeah, for the game. We signed these guys for the game about way back then. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, I mean, anything could have happened in their careers. Yeah. You yeah. know? They, and when I look at it, I go, Nathan Florence, absolutely killing them. Yeah. Maybe the most interesting surfer in the world right now, he's, and the way he's yeah. what he's what he's bringing to social media, and the way he's really self-employed around his media mm -hmm. and the content he creates, and what he's built for his life is amazing. Bahini Fierro, mm -hmm. Queen of Chopu, how she has continued to evolve. Felicity Palmatia, mm -hmm. and what she's done on the big wave stage, and how she how she's evolved. Everybody that we signed back then has in that time that we have been building and developing um, has continued to grow their career and made themselves a much more valuable asset than they were back then. Okay. All right. To the game. So in a way I felt like the job I did in terms of, you know, getting the talent for the game, that that worked really, really well. I was stoked about that. Oh, and Yago Dora. <laughs> That's who I forgot. So so you um, picked this like a fantasy team years ago and yeah, they I just, just well they were like we need some surfers yeah. and these were people i respected people i had contacts with obviously we talked to kelly slater and john john florence mm -hmm. and you know the big headline acts yeah. um and obviously you know they were not that interested at that time mm. um and and the people that we got 
over the time, you know, even look at what Yago's done in the yeah, last year on, yeah, on tour. Sir. Who he is, who all seven of them are now, compared to who were they were when we've signed them, spoke to my ability to pick a good person right. in my mind. You know, when we look at it, those three years of, of development and what happened for us as a game was there, there are a couple of brothers from Perth, Western Australia, mm -hmm. and they're video game developers and they just wanted to build a surfing game all their life. This is a passion project for them. They just love this is this is they've put their heart and soul into this game. Um they had big uh partners who got bought out. Their partners who they were in business with got bought out by a French conglomerate. The French conglomerate wanted to buy them out or not be involved. Hmm. So they had the option of selling their passion project and just walking with the money and letting someone else see it through to fruition. Hmm. Or cash her in and do it themselves and be an independent. And mm -hmm. so we, this is an in, independent game oh, created it. by an independent company out of two brothers out of Perth, Western Australia. The reason it's taken the, the extra time, another year or so, was because of that, that purchase mm -hmm. that took place of their partner and the fact that they chose to go it alone. Mm. And their independence, just doing their own little thing, bringing their own video game to market and living their dream. And that's why I've been so supportive of them because... They're just a couple of blokes yeah. trying to do something very cool. And hopefully come November 17th, when it hits the market, um, people will think it's cool too. They've put their heart and soul into it. I've, I've done everything I can to try and create the commercial commercial and cultural integrity in there. Mm -hmm. We've got some of the best brands in the industry, you know, sponsoring the events that are a part of the world tour because it's the first video game that's ever been based on a world tour. Good. So there's the 12 location stops that you go to and you earn points throughout the year. You can compete or you can surf as a free surfer. So you can go to those 12 locations and just surf as a free surfer okay. or you can go there and compete. So there's a lot of similarities in the game to the real world. It's very We've done our very best to try and simulate what exists in the real world in that online world for people. So I hope they like it. Eh? I've got everything crossed and it's been a long project but um we're nearly there november 17th it launches wow, how interesting to go from the early days when you were building a tour and and building it to working with a video game that basically builds a, a virtual tour so you kind of a virtual tour exactly all the points martin Good yeah job. yeah Good and, job. and be aware <laughs> of the importance of that cultural integrity i know in you know Having those big brands in the game is, mm -hmm. is amazing. You know, Quicksilver's, Billabong's, those they're right. all sponsoring events that are theirs in the real world. Yeah. Oh, that's it. You know, Billabong Pipeline Masters, that type of thing. So it's uh, it's going to be great. I mean, it's it's nerve wracking. I'm real nervous because you yeah. you know you're going to come under criticism. You know, there's going to be people um, that love it and people that hate okay. it. Okay, are you um, are you going to? It's the, the, give up social media for a few days and then <laughs> come back to it. How are nah, you? Nah, you know what? That? I mean, that in itself's been interesting. My experience on social media has been a really interesting thing. Um, you know, in that time of the game, I've most probably gone from 5,000 followers to 74,000 followers mm -hmm. in the time the game's been developing. So in the same way that the people who surfers who are featured on the game have continued and all sort of flourished and taken their careers to whole other levels, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm in a much better place to be the naming rights of the game or have my name Andrew. branding the game than I was when they came to saw, see me all those years ago. You know, I've commentated the Olympics, mm -hmm. commentated a lot of WSL and ISA events, and people know my voice more yeah. than they even know my face. Yeah. 
I'll be somewhere and I'll talk and people will turn around because they hear my voice. They go, are you Martin Leach? I heard your voice. You know? So um, in that sense, when you're doing anything, when you're trying to be a professional surfer, when you're having a surf, you're always just trying to put yourself into the right place at the right time. And sometimes things happen outside of your control that in that moment you consider bad. But you go, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. But as you look back on them, I remember losing the world title in 1987 at my home beach, Manly, Sydney, Australia, to Damien Hardman. And my dream was I thought I was going to win the world title at home in front of my family and friends. The last event of the year is at my home beach. And I I started that year, the first seven events, I made five finals. I had three firsts, two seconds, and two fifths in the first seven events. And I was like, I'm going to win at home. It's going to happen. This is going to happen. And then the pressure got to me from leading, and I just crumbled under that pressure. Mm. And instead of winning the world title at home in front of family and friends, I had to lose the world title at home in front of family and friends. And it was the most emotional, upsetting, disturbing experience of my life. And I thought, you're just going to have to learn to live with the fact that you ain't good enough. And you're never going to get a chance. That was it, mate. You had your chance and you were good enough. And I was heartbroken. And then the next year I go out on tour. I'm not even thinking about world titles. I'm so disappointed still, really. I make nine thirds, nine semifinals through the year. And going into the end, all I need is a couple of wins. And I'm right there. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I win pipeline. It's 10 to 12 foot, perfect pipeline. I win the world title and win at pipeline. And I go, I will swap that for Manly every day of the year. You know what I mean? That is one of the greatest uh, ASP world title victories um, that there is. It's just amazing the way um, you went in in third place and uh, Carol Carol and Hardman dropped out and you you still had to win. (laughs) And you kept winning and you kept making it. And then you... um, you went all the way to the final and, and won the event. Yeah. And, and dreams come true in that yeah. sense. You know, like I, the year before I was looking at it going, this is the worst. <laughs> oh, you know, I was very, you know, you know what I actually did? I was looking at myself in a mirror. I was so angry and so just emotional that I punched myself in the head in the mirror uh, and ended up in the ER getting stitches uh, in my fist because I was an idiot. Uh, so, I, I thought that that moment was so bad. And I, I know that for the game developers, through this process and losing their partners and then having to go mm-hmm. out on their own and source finance to finish the project mm-hmm. and really kind of limp to the finish line. Mm-hmm. It's like the game and we're like those those marathon runners that are getting to the finishing line and you're watching them and they're crawling their way yeah. over the line and they get there and everyone goes, yes, you made it. Oh. But it was, you know, it was a, I suppose a, not traumatic, but a difficult experience with all the ups and downs of trying to do something great, mm-hmm. trying to do something good, trying to, you know, win a world title or release a video game. <laughs> and the the boys, um, uh, they're, they're getting they're nearly at the finish line. They're, they're so close to the finish line. So I'm so wow. happy for them. I'm so proud of them. And I, um, I hope people love it. Yeah. And um, that you know, it's uh, it has got a wave pool in there. We couldn't make it without a wave pool. <laughs> That's awesome. Barton, thank you so much for for taking time out and sharing your story. And I love how this conversation, we kind of went everywhere with it, didn't we? We we were, yeah, we went, well, I tend to do that. <laughs> no, but it's great. It's a, it's a great ride. Thank you. And um, it, you, thank you, it's Mark. all, you know, tied back uh, here at the end. So from, you know, building something, the early pro tour to building wave pools to building a video game. 
and solid, very constructive. So active conversation. Yeah. And you know, you. for me to be sixty years of age, I wouldn't I didn't think I'd be surfing. Yeah. At sixty first off. When you're a kid, it was a kid's thing. Mark the great Mark Richards retired from the tour at like twenty six. With four with four world you know, titles, I retired yeah. at I retired at thirty three and um I was old, mate, then. It was old, you know. And now, now you're 60 and there's Kelly Slater's on tour at 50. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people are ripping into their older ages and, and the wave pool technologies. And there's so much wonderful stuff going on in the surfing world. And to still be involved in it and engaged with it and kind of living off it, me in and around it is, oh, who would have thought, mate? What a wonderful <laughs> ride it's been for all of us, you know. And, and, and again, the wave pools really are going to be one of the prime movers of that ride into the future for all yeah. of us. So it's going to be fascinating to watch that and appreciate what you guys do in that space. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Appreciate it, Martin. Ken, thank you. Um, it's so good to have you on the show. And we'll look forward to the video game drop and your BL Blastoff uh, Grom clips. We're going to put those up on the site as well. And uh, thank enjoy you. your day. You're just starting your day there in Hawaii. So Yeah, we're just starting the day and... Uh, it's a good one, mate. They're all good in Hawaii. Every day you get to get to be alive and continue to breathe. My my son plays American football now mm -hmm. in the the Kahuku under tens, Laie Park Raiders under tens, and um, good. kids. You know when kids are sitting on the bench, yeah, and and you're watching the game go, and you you just your heart bleeds for the kids on the bench. You uh, just want them yeah. to get into the yeah. game. You're like, just give them a go. Let them in the game. I want everyone to understand this that. We as being alive got off the bench. We're off the bench and we're in the game of life. Mm -hmm. And there's just the fact that we're here and alive and living is a miracle in itself. Mm -hmm. The fact that you got a chance to be a living human being. Yeah. And through 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 your parents' interaction, you got a chance to get off the bench and live. And I live with that that concept in my mind that hey, I'm off the bench. I'm in the game, mate. I'm in the game to make the most of life. Of I just want to play as hard as I can for as long as I can <laughs> and enjoy it as much as I can. I just wish that for everyone else, the recognition of how good it is to be off the yeah. bench and in the game of yeah. life. And then we just make the most of it that we can and, it, and share the stoke with people around us. And that's a good yeah, thing. And you're, and, and you're doing that. You're definitely making the most of it, Bart. So great. Thank you. Thank you Thank for you, Brian. joining us. Thank you.